Welcome to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is all about the future, and tonight we're going to be talking about uh, past futures as well as weird futures, and um, and so this is the audio version of the Speculist weblog, and uh, you can uh, join us at the Speculist at www.speculist.com. And I've got with me tonight Michael Darling, as well as Phil Bowermaster, who will be joining me in just a minute. But how are you tonight, Michael? I'm doing great. It's uh, Spring has sprung here in Colorado where I am, and uh, it's a good thing. Uh, you guys have a lot more winter than I have to experience, I think, uh, most, of the, most of the year. I, as a matter of fact, I don't hardly have winter at all here in Louisiana. But, I mean, it's, so you've got, you've got a lawn to mow and everything else now, huh? Um, yes, I've got the uh, the lawn to mow and the baseball games to play and the you know it's 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 just spring here, but it's uh, I don't know. I think mentally I was just more ready for it this year than I have been in a long time. Normally the winters here don't bother me that much. I, I just don't care. But this winter I just I didn't like it. I wanted it over, and now it is. Did you grow up in that area? Is that is is Denver home to you? I grew up in suburban Chicago. Okay. And then uh, I went in the Air Force, and I lived in a lot of places. And uh, the first, my my first winter after college, when I was in the Air Force, I was living in Sacramento. And um, the worst winter day in Sacramento is like you know opening day at Wrigley Field. I mean, it's it was sunny in fifties most of the time in the winter. And I'm like, this is the way winter should be. Well, you know, uh, we keep hearing about uh, you know how global warming is going to be uh, the the, uh, the future for us, and uh, this year has not it's not been especially warm, at least not in my area. Um, I, you know, I I was even out camping earlier this weekend, um, camped out fr- on Friday night, and man, I got cold, and I, I wouldn't expect that this gets, time I think global warming is a uh, is a bad name. Just because I think we, I, I'm, I'm skeptical that we fully understand the implications of a changing climate, and the fact that it might, on average, the world over, be a couple degrees warmer. I don't think it necessarily means that Louisiana, which is normally warmer than Colorado, is going to stay warmer than Colorado. Yeah. I just think it means the climate's going to change. Yeah. But I, I honestly don't know. I just think it's more complicated than we can accurately forecast. Well, that and you know, that, I think that's the key with forecasting future all around is that you just it's 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 more difficult than you can you can imagine. Uh, the more comp and it's it's as difficult to uh, to forecast um, you know the future of I don't know television or this or that as it is the weather. I mean, there's so many things that go into you know what we what we ought to expect for the future that. Uh, um, it's a little hard to a little hard to get a handle on it. And, the, uh, I went I went to the University of Illinois and there was a um, uh, they, they you know like any university there's uh, lecture series ongoing all the time and this was in the latter part of the 80s and um, there was a big talk about climate change global warming mm-hmm. and uh, not not a, not an especially informed individual sitting in the in the crowd of about 40 or 50 of us watching this atmospheric science guy talk about what was going to happen and what was happening and greenhouse gases and going through the whole story. Um, this would have been, I don't know, probably the fall of 86. Mm-hmm. And this guy sitting there goes, well, if it's, if it's overall warmer, shouldn't we have more cloud cover in general? And won't that mitigate the, uh, the, 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 the warming effect? Long pause. <laughs> Lots of staring. <laughs> 
It's like, yeah, that, that gets into an area where it's more complicated than we can accurately forecast. But the basic principle is the same. Greenhouse gases will lead to this kind of this impact. I'm like, yeah, the part about it being more complicated is the part that really stuck with me. Yeah. Hey, guys, I'm on now. I oh, great. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Phil. We were just talking about uh, basically having to pull out the old lawnmowers again. Oh, well, there you go. Now, this was the very topic I said I didn't want us to get bogged down in. <laughs> well, we hadn't gotten no, we too were. bogged down. Um, I, I, I had mentioned that uh, before the, before the broad podcast started that I was out thatching my, uh, my lawn, doing the power rake uh, this afternoon. So uh, I feel like th- this is my first time using the, uh, the lawnmower in the new address. And, you know, you really feel like you live someplace once you start doing that kind of stuff. So. Speaking of past futures... I have a theory that I, I don't have any hard data to uh, to back up. Um, I have two examples with which to back up, and it's the the theory has to do with why we even have grass lawns in the first place. Okay. I think so this it's, is a weird, uh, weird it's, uh, where people have grass lawns. Is that what you're saying? I am aware that people have grass lawns. I'm not aware why. Well, uh, um, of all the things you could plant. I think I think low maintenance would be one of the first things you'd pick as a characteristic. But grass, and especially in this part of the world, is anything but low maintenance. You know, it's, there was actually uh, somewhere I read um, a was one of the founding fathers might have been Benjamin Franklin because he always had something to say about everything. You know, um, he was Man he was a, my own heart. He was a uh, um, the the guy that I was reading, and it probably was Benjamin Franklin was uh, coming out in favor of basically letting your lawn be whatever it's going to be. You know, you wildflowers here. You know. Nowadays we call that xeriscape. Yeah. Franklin was way ahead of his time. And that's right. That's what or he Or we call it the bum neighbor who doesn't water. I, I actually... The land ownership pattern that we have basically comes out of uh, the next phase, post-monarchy, um, from European and especially the English system, where if you had a landed title, you owned everything that went with that title, and then you could parcel it out to tenants and and so forth. Now we have a more complicated system of private property where, yeah, it doesn't matter your title. If you could step up and qualify for the mortgage, not to deviate onto that subject, but uh, you get to own a piece of the thing, and then you get to do what you want with it up to a point. But when it was back in the titled thing, the guy who parceled it out was, like, charged with, I mean, he literally owned everything. He owned all the animals. He owned the birds. He owned the water that ran through it. He owned everything. And so the goal was make it productive. And yet you'd waste this huge lawn. Why? Oh, well, but it's all, it, the answer is in the question, okay? There you go. We, we, have, we, we have inherited the, the, the property law model of land ownership, and we are also emulating uh, what they did on their estates. That's right. That's where lawns got their start, right? On, uh, and, they got the, and they did the lawn, why? They did the to lawn prove how much land they could waste. Yeah. What they, what they, they did the lawn because they wanted to, you know, lawn bowl and play badminton and things like that. They, 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 did oh. they wanted to prove, A, we can waste all this land just having beautiful green grass, and B, we had all these Y'all over talking to each other. <laughs> you had all this staff and, and, and folks hanging around the compound in the castle. You had to keep them busy. And as we all know, no better way to keep them busy than by tending the lawn because it's never ending. 
Well, we're going to get off the lawn now. <laughs> yeah, see, I, this, is, this is my nightmare scenario that we talk about grass all night. <laughs> well, we're not going to do it. I would have predicted, and I'll predict now, that the day is coming where we're going to get rid of these maintenance-intensive turf lawns. <laughs> Let's get on to the past futures. Um, I want to play uh, for the audience uh, this audio that I, I found um, about the General Motors 1939 Futurama exhibit. Uh, now, this is part of the New York World's Fair, and what's cool about it is to listen and hear what they got right and to hear what they got wrong. And uh, so I'm just going to play. This is just a small excerpt from it. At last, you entered the General Motors Futurama through a narrow cleft in that high wall. And you were put into a moving chair, and a voice began to speak with calm certainty. And before you opened a wonderland, 3,000 square miles in scale, a plane ride over an America from which the past, my present, had vanished, seemingly without a trace. And now we see a great river city of 1960. Here is an American city replanned around a highly developed modern traffic system. On all express city thoroughfares, the rights of way have been so rooted as to displace outmoded business sections and undesirable slum areas whenever possible. A vast circular airport is close to the city with a giant dirigible hangar so that it can be turned easily to meet any wind direction. It is resting in a pool of liquid. Here is a highway intersection, highway engineering at its most spectacular. By means of the ramped loops, cars may make right and left turns at rates of speed up to 50 miles per hour. Safe distance between cars is maintained by automatic radio control. Curved sides assist the driver in keeping his car within the proper lane under all circumstances. A quarter of a mile high skyscraper's tower. On many of the buildings are landing decks for helicopters and autogyros. We see some suggestion of the things to come. A world with a future in which all of us are tremendously interested. Because that is where we are going to spend most of our lives. It was Democracy and Greenbelt all stitched together with the superhighways General Motors was counting on. And whether or not the Futurama was exactly what the social planners had in mind for America, General Motors had no doubts. When you left the building, you were given a small blue and white button that said simply, I have seen the future. Okay. Well, that was amazing. <laughs> Well, it was ama amazing in a couple of ways, Phil. Um, I thought um, the, the, the things that I found interesting about it was the fact that they got the highways right. Right. 
50 <laughs> miles an hour. Ooh. <laughs> you, you could exit uh, at full speed, which, I mean, that, you know, if you're sitting there in 1939 and every road you've ever been to where there's an intersection, uh, you have to stop and then you have to turn. And uh, right. that was, that was uh, revolutionary at the time. You know, things that got wrong, like the airports that are on water that can be turned and the dirigibles, you know, that, that was out of the picture very quickly after, uh, uh, after 1939. That was really already on its way out at that point. And, uh, you know, one thing I did notice about that, um, this was probably the last, well, one of the last future exhibits there was in the world where computers didn't were not uh, on display or you know, are, are really prominently part of what they consider to be the future. That's the, interesting. I'm sure they talked about radio and talked about television, right? Right. But but not computers. Yeah. And they, that was yeah. 1939, yeah. And they talked a lot about uh, television. So. Hmm. Well, I love the I love the idea of auto gyros. You, you know you're you know you're dealing with a past future when you hear about dirigibles or auto gyros. <laughs> That's right. I hope I'll, I'll, I have a I have a hope that both will make a comeback. But. That's that's uh, that you know that's been 50 years uh, that they've been talking about making. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I, don't, I, I think the uh, the dirigible has found its uh, has found its usefulness in the Goodyear blimp. That's about it. Yeah. And I don't know. The auto gyro is just probably not a great idea. I guess at the, at the end of the day, it's just uh, you know it's got too many uh, like the drawbacks of the helicopter without the advantages. I, I don't know. It's just uh, never seemed to have uh, never seemed to have caught on. But but a lot of it sounds like uh, uh, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. That movie. The, uh, that's right. That's right. They, they worked a lot of those elements into there, and people were convinced that the future was going to include this. Um, uh, this this kind of technology, you know, there there are uh, there are hooks or moorings or rings or something on the Empire State Building for for uh, for tying dirigibles to it. Yeah, and and there was the thought that you know that's how that's how it's going to be in the future. These skyscrapers will have airships landing, hooking up to them. People will walk right into the skyscraper from the uh, from. It's a it's a it's a wonderful uh, vision of the future. It's, it would have been a weird future, but. Uh, but a neat one. But uh, we, we seem to have. Of course, they that. opened up the Sky Captain movie with that exact uh, scene, didn't they? That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's it's that's a pretty uh, it's it's a pretty neat uh, future that almost was. I think that you know if things gone gone a little bit different, had there not been a Hindenburg disaster, had, had we you know uh, been able to make the uh, transition from uh, hydrogen to helium. Uh, more smoothly, uh, then, you know, perhaps we would have seen those things, but, oh, well. Possibly. Airplanes uh, took radio on Blog Talk Radio Network, and we're talking about weird futures. If you'd like to join our conversation, you can call us at 347-215-8972 and tell us about your own weird ideas about the future. So what other past futures uh, do we have? Does anyone have any other examples of uh, weird futures that never came about? Because I've got at least one. We'll let you kick it off, Phil. <laughs> yeah, dingle that out there, and then I better pretty much. <laughs> you better. There you go. I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day, and this is kind of the quintessential bad prediction of the future. And uh, we, I don't know if it's apocryphal or if it's a true story, but a city planner in New York in the uh, 19th century wrote a paper warning uh, 
full of, full of dire predictions as to what the environmental impact of population growth of the city was going to be. And his biggest concern was what? Do you guys know? Have you heard this one? Uh, let me throw out horse poop. Yeah. Horse manure is absolutely right. Yes, he, was, <laughs> he, he, he made predictions that by the year 1940 or so, the city would be up to like the third story of three-story buildings with, uh, with horse manure. And that would have been a very weird and very dismal future, but uh, that, that's, a, that's a past future. It's an incorrect prediction of the future because he just, you know, he didn't see the automobile coming. So that's it. Well, and he also sort of discounted, I think, rather significantly the effort to clean it away. I mean, there would have been a big pile of it somewhere, but it wouldn't have been in the streets of New York City. Well, clearly it wouldn't have been in the streets of New York City, but somewhere there would have been a huge uh, pile of uh, manure. Yeah, it, it makes it more dramatic if you keep it in Manhattan. For, uh, <laughs> yeah. for, yeah. for warning purposes, right? But, but uh, do we have other other examples of past futures, futures that never came about? Well, you know, there's, here's an example of something that um, I mean, this, and I don't think this is apocryphal. I think this is factual, actually. Uh, you know, uh, stocks and ga and and gas for gas lighting supposedly took a big dip when. I know you guys know this. When, gas lighting? Oh, when the light bulb was invented. Well, no, before that. Oh. When it was announced that Edison was looking into finding a way to do electric lighting. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, people, people, he already had this reputation as this miracle worker, and uh, gas stocks just plummeted when it was announced that he was going to do it. He just... Uh, of course, he spent years uh, finding the right filament. So, right. Yeah. So, so it, it took it took several years for that uh, for that to really kick in. Well, that, he's, there's a, another example there of where he got it wrong because he thought that every neighborhood, every block, every little would be clustered around one generator instead of he, he didn't envision this gigantic grid, and. Um, and yet we end up with this gigantic grid, and we end up with one power plant powering the whole metro area. He got that part wrong. Yeah. There's a past future. So we live in this weird future, from Edison's standpoint, where everybody's uh, hooked up to this huge electric grid. Well, and I think he probably also envisioned that uh, most people would be pretty aware of the fact that the power for their little node came from someplace close by, because they'd all be wired into it. Right. But in fact... I, I'd, I'd be willing to bet eight and ten Americans really don't have a pretty good idea where the electricity comes from, other than the outlet in the wall. I mean, they just well, there's and, no it, and and there's no and no one really knows. I mean, even a, even an expert, uh, if 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 you're just plugged into the grid, I mean, the right. power could be coming from anywhere. Uh, right. Any any electric plant in the United States that's on the grid could be sending the electron to your computer at any particular time. It's, you know, it's it's kind of a it's it is a it is a pretty interesting uh, way of doing it. So we tap into this amazing power source, and we don't even know where it's coming from. Yep, that's a pretty weird future when you think of it. It's like the internet, right? The you know the all, all these different machines are holding this vast network of uh, of information. You don't really know where it is. It's kind of located uh, across a, a whole lot of different nodes, right? Right. That's a weird future. Absolutely. Um, 
I mean, as, as far as, 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 as stuff that uh, is going to happen, I mean, you can't get too much weirder than the singularity itself. I mean, as far as uh, the stuff that's going to, uh, you know, that could occur in the future. Um, I, I think something that uh, Michael mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, fusion power. You know, if, if that ever comes online, that's going to change the world in ways that we can't even imagine. That, that will change the world in ways we cannot imagine. I mean, it, it, it gives us big uh, – what, what we think about is, uh, oh, abundant energy, so energy will cost less. And we can, um, you know, I don't know, leave the lights burning or, you know, I mean, what's the, what's the big advantage to, uh, to abundant energy? But, but it's suddenly when you plug in all that extra energy, people will find things to do with it that they've, that they've never found before. And then the world starts to be transformed in ways that, uh, as you said – who knows what that'll look like? Right. Like my prediction there would be that uh, rather than just say, "Hey, we're at the consumption level we're at now for electricity, and now we can do it so much more efficiently," isn't that great? We would just have access to so much more power. We'd just use it all. Yeah. And that's and a measure of the. Give, I'm sorry. I give the American automotive market as enhancements come along that could could if they so desired, say, you know, that top speed of 50 miles an hour that we had in 1939 or 1960 or whatever, that, that, that's fine. Let's take advancements that come along and just make the vehicles more efficient. No, no. We took the efficiency from 1960 and said, that efficiency is fine, 10, 12, 14 miles a gallon, that's all we need. And every improvement that came along, we plowed it into more power. For a while. So we, now we have the 260 horsepower, 0 to 60 in, you know, 6 seconds car that any consumer can go and buy it's like yeah we got more power let's just make it more powerful who cares about efficiency well, you know what uh, the uh, the analogy to that is i remember when i bought my first um uh, macintosh for my home and it was a big deal that this thing had a huge 40 megabyte hard disk <laughs> yeah and and you know today i wouldn't even I, I would be unhappy with a mere 40 gigabyte hard disk right yeah, um, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd want you know, I, I, a thousand times more isn't enough. I need you know, two or three thousand times more to to, to make. You can't. Like you couldn't survive on forty megs of RAM. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. You think, wow, these computers in the future are going to be so huge. Think of all the great stuff we'll be able to do. It's like, yeah, but now it's like you need gigabytes to run Microsoft Word. <laughs> you know, it, it used to run on, on a floppy on a on a one twenty eight k Mac, but 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 now it takes gigabytes to run. So. So I think I think there's you know there is a uh, a tendency for us to to take our activity and 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 what capability that we have today expand into um, the resource pool of the future so that uh, sometimes the amazing stuff doesn't show up quite quite the way we were hoping it would because Microsoft Word really hasn't gotten all that amazing I mean. <laughs> uh, it, for what it is, it's it is amazing. But you're right. The fact that the uh, uh, or any word processing program went from what we used to be able to do on our old machines, which for my purposes was perfectly adequate. Uh, now the machine is way more powerful, and it has to be to run the program. And the word processing experience is still, you know, perfectly adequate. I don't find it mind-boggling. Certainly not a thousand times more uh, more interesting. That's for sure. That's right. But we're looking for those things that will be uh, more interesting. So let's talk about some other kinds of futures. How about a weird entertainment future? What weird things might people do for entertainment in the future, or what things in the past 
have people said that uh, might become interesting forms of entertainment in the future? Well, let me bring up Solent Green again. Um, not, not not from the uh, if they're people. Uh, you, know, you got to tell them it's people. Uh, but uh, you remember in that movie, uh, this rich guy who could afford to actually eat steak every now and then. You know, imagine that. Um, they had it within his home. I think probably the first example of a uh, upright video game arcade game cabinet, uh, probably ever. Um, and if you remember, he had you know, uh, you know, the girl that came with the the apartment. You know, it was, she was basically furniture. Uh, she was sitting there playing that video game in that movie. You remember that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was kind of a past future idea about a video game. That, exactly, and 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 it and it, um, and it uh, preceded actual arcade game cabinets, uh, probably about five to ten years, and then uh, and and then the arcade cabinets look very much like what you saw in that movie. But you know, they've ne- the arcade cabinets like that have never mi- really migrated into the homes, not not to any great extent. I suppose a few rich people may have. uh, Because you don't need it. No, you you don't. You could hook the hardware up to your TV, and you know you could play six dozen, you know, hundreds of different games on your TV. Even back, even back in the seventies, they had that capability that you could play dozens of different games on your on your TV. So why would you buy a cabinet? Really? Yeah, exactly. So you know, because you've already got a TV that you can. Because it looks uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it does look cool. And so, collectors, so, people with a certain amount of money, will buy a cabinet. Probably. So instead of doing that, let's uh, extrapolate on that into the real, you know, into what we think will be the future. Instead of it looking like the like an arcade game cabinet that probably people won't do, uh, what will what will uh, our video game experience at home be like in ten years or twenty years? Here's what I would hope, um, and I'll use this my example. A, uh, a flight simulator. If you just said, "Hey, I want to pretend to fly a 747 uh, from Denver, Colorado, to Los Angeles and land at LAX," that you would be able to have both the the uh, imagery and the ability to project it in a way that, from a simulation point of view, it's um, if not realistic, it's compelling. Now, I use that as an example only because I like flying and I used to fly. And I, I think if you can pull off the flight simulator, you can do all kinds of cool things. You could, you know, in that same environment, you could create a vehicle that would allow you to uh, simulate uh, scuba diving. But you do what it in a living room. You're just wearing goggles? You're, uh, what? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the VR model where it's a goggle or an implant, or maybe it's uh you know, the big screens all around the room and a handful of projectors. I don't know. I'm just... Well, in, in 10 I'm years, it might be something here. like... In 10 years, it might be where you, you know, um, there's certain video games where you're actually moving and, and you know, they have an omnidirectional um, uh, treadmill now that allows you to walk in any direction. And the whole idea is that, um, you, you know, you could use that in a virtual reality setting. That'd be pretty cool. Um but um, you know, I, I, you know, the the next step after that is where you actually jack in, where you you would experience all the sensations of swimming and everything else in a, in a virtual reality world. And uh, that, hey, you think about a fourth or fifth generation Wii, it would have swimming. Exactly. And, and, and it's and and the interface <laughs> the interface is straight into your uh, your nervous system, and yeah, you, you know, you set. 
you, you know, you set the current, you know, the depth, you put the pool someplace interesting, you know, you put interesting people around you, and then you start swimming. And you're actually having the, I don't know, I mean, you're, you feel like you're physiologically having the experience of swimming, but would you get any exercise doing that? Would that, would that be a real experience? Or uh, what, what, what would be happening physically while your body is, is experiencing that? It'd probably be much like a dream. You'd have to be disconnected from your um, nervous system, more or less. You know, right. It, Otherwise, you know, you're just flailing. Right? <laughs> exactly, and that and, and that's basically what you do when you're dreaming. Um, you know, when you're walking around in your dream, uh, you for the most part you're not walking, you're not moving. You know, you're laying there in your bed. Right. Well, so, I think, well in fact, we think of the thought. Oh, this, go ahead, Michael. The uh, swimming model, you would, um, you could definitely get exercise. I mean, I've played Wii and I've seen other people play Wii, and you will get out of breath. You know, you're, you're moving. But in swimming, there's this uh, there's this fear factor where if you, if you don't breathe at the right intervals, it's bad. And I can't imagine how you would even attempt or want to build a game that you could actually drown. So you wouldn't. You just say, well, your character is going to drown, your uh, your avatar is going to drown, and you go, okay, it's a little bit different, you know, motivation. But maybe you could make that work. You could be attached to your avatar in a way that whether it's fear or whatever, you'd be motivated enough and you'd get the sim- a similar kind of exercise. Huh. Interesting thought. Yeah, I, do, I don't think really drowning would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all in agreement. Yeah. Issues galore for, uh, <laughs> for Nintendo around uh, ha- having... Yeah, but, but, but any of those kinds of high-risk things, you know, when the, when the skateboard video game really actually includes the sensation of skateboarding, clearly you don't want to have it include the physical consequences of falling over you know landing on your head right. and stuff like that right um, <laughs> but it's interesting uh, t- that you mentioned dreaming because we talked about that in a uh, better all the time a few weeks ago actually the um, the beginnings of research into recording and being able to play back and being able to tap into people's dreams and I see this as one of the major um, entertainment channels of, I don't know whether it'll be two decades from now, three de- decades from now, but when they can give you dreams, when when you can pick your own dreams and say, I want to have a dream about this, right? It'll have these characters in it, and I'll have these capabilities, and I'm going to be this person doing these things. I, I think that'll be huge. I think that, uh, that, that dreaming might actually become our number one form of entertainment because um, anything's possible when yeah. you're dreaming. Yeah, I, and but I would I would I would uh, suggest to you that virtual reality would be much the same, and perhaps could be doing that in a in a semi awake state. I don't know. It, it, it you know the the line between virtual reality and a uh, and a programmed dream might be really really fuzzy. Yeah, in fact, uh, we, we might be the same thing. Yeah, we 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 might be making a distinction without a difference here. But by the time it shows up, it could be exactly the same thing. Yeah, no doubt. I think um, I think in that model, I would choose at least once in a while, and perhaps most of the time, I would choose to have a dream that I myself would never think of. I mean, all the all characters right. in my dream speak English. Hold, hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought, Michael. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We are talking about the future. We're talking about weird futures, and uh, we're, we're just about to get into uh, what are the strange dreams that uh, Michael's never had. So if you'd like to join us in talking about that, give us a call at 
215-8972. So, so what, what would go into a dream that you've never had before? Well, um, for example, the characters wouldn't all speak English. In my dreams they do because that's all I speak. <laughs> well, uh, would, would your uh, dream have be closed captioned? <laughs> yeah, would, would, would you speak the other language too? Or, uh... I, I'm just saying, if it's going to be the dream I myself wouldn't have, it's got to be something I couldn't think of. It's like, give me a human rendering of some situation or context that I myself would never have thought of. Hmm. Surprise me. Yeah. 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 Blow my head, you know, explode me. (laughs) Okay. Again, this is uh, something I would want to avoid, and it's sort of like drowning. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, metaphorically, in a a dramatic literary sense. (laughs) Okay, you didn't mean literally. N- not scanners. Not at this. Not at this point, although I reserve the right to change that in the future. <laughs> well, that see that is the interesting um, dilemma of both uh, program dreaming and virtual reality of entertainment, where anything is possible. Um, once you've experienced it a few times, you know if you can if you can program the dream, right? And you know it's whatever that that you've got. You know that you're a bazillionaire and you're, you know, married to Giselle Bundchen and you know whatever it is. I mean that once you go through it five or six times, maybe that starts to get boring. So you have to you have to spice it up with. Uh, well, I you know I've never been run over by a car. I wonder what that feels like, right? <laughs> and and it's possible. And this would be a very weird future indeed, where um, because people have entertainment that enables them to experience just about anything, they do end up experiencing just about anything. They're trying the scanners thing and uh, and everything else just, just to see what it would feel like. Even very unpleasant things. Hmm. Yeah. Especially those because because those those you know, there's there's like this endless variety of those, right? Without and, well, and could, without physical consequence, you know, as soon as it's over it's right. over. Hmm. Right. As long as you can you stay safe so you would do things. And you know, this goes back to a subject that we touched on last week where uh, I made the claim that ethics are contextual. I think people would do things that they would never, or we would hope they would never do in their their real life, but they would do it in the dream because they're like, yeah, I want to I see it, I want to feel it. Well, you, well you already, as it is, things happen in our dreams that, you know, we do things in our dreams that we would never do in real life, and things occur to us. Speak that, for yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, in video games, for example, I mean, uh, you know, you don't think of anything of logging on and, and blowing away a couple hundred people in, you know, in Quake or whatever, Doom. Um, it's, you know, you, you, we play these very violent video games, and, you know, we uh, periodically you'll hear people, you know, say that this is just going to result in, all, you know, uh, this the kids growing up really violent or, or whatever, and so far it hadn't played out that way, and so yeah, that's that, true. So so hopefully, e- even if people go to extremes in their in their dreams or in their virtual reality, that's not going to translate back into the real world. Well, we hope, and not. that would just be crazy anyway, because you know, what are you going to get hooked on getting run over by a car, and so decide you're going to try it in the. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you're sick enough, maybe you could. But uh. <laughs> well, this just goes to the fact that, uh, as a species, maybe the you know the evolutionary impulse is ultimately destructive. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that would not be my first choice for uh, a uh, for virtual reality uh, experience. I, I tell you, I tell you that. Um, 
you know, I, I, I would, I think I would enjoy a lot of sitting on the beach, uh, you know, <laughs> or, or, or followed uh, immediately by being on the mountain snow skiing or something, you know. Well, yeah, I think some some pleasant things. I think I I think I could enjoy a lot of really nice things before I would get bored with them and started, uh, you know, throwing myself off the cliff or or yeah. something like. That. Well, I think about Second Life. You give me a full immersion version of Second Life, and I'll be very happy there for quite some time. Just because you go, you know, any place you want to go, you can fly. You can fly on your own power. <laughs> yeah. And 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 that that will be a very cool thing in, uh, in 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 virtual reality, which is to be experiencing what feels like real life, and yet have that added dimension of, oh, I need to, you know, I need to get over there. Here it goes. I'm up. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm off the ground. <laughs> I'm flying under my own power like Superman. I, I, I think, you know, I, I might get bored with that eventually, but I would certainly enjoy it for a while. <laughs> I think I would enjoy it for a good long while. All so right. what are some other uh, weird futures? How about weird food futures? I, I observed that this week that we live in a weird food future. Um, I, I had uh, posted a, uh, a blog entry from, from an ad from Pizza Hut. That I got that I got uh, via email, and and I felt like I had to share that with the world. Pizza Hut now selling pasta, and uh, they were touting the excellent quality of their pasta so good that they dared to describe it as restaurant quality pasta <laughs> from Pizza Hut. Yes, Pizza Hut. So uh, to me, this is just the uh, uh, it, well, it just. So bizarre, you know. What what is what a strange world we live in that a restaurant would would boast that they that they that they're producing restaurant quality pasta. I guess probably what they were thinking, Phil, is you know you can have restaurant food in your home. We'll bring it to you. I guess that maybe that's what they were saying with that ad. But yeah, I I laughed at the ad too. It was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably what they meant. But it it didn't come it. It didn't come out like that, did it? It didn't come. It seemed like they were setting the bar a little lower than they <laughs> They should have been trying. I, I read that and I went, "Whatever happened to trying to make it like as good as homemade or something?" You know, I mean, <laughs> well, maybe homemade's not as good as it used to be. I think uh, um, we we may have lost some of our skills in the kitchen. Uh, the average American. That, that's true, it, but it just it seems like you know tonight, guys. I want us to really put our best effort in and make this just a podcast quality program. <laughs> no doubt, <laughs> at least that good. Yeah, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, we're shooting straight for the middle, and I really think we got a shot at it. I really do. Actually, you know, I looked at that because I work in marketing, and and my theory on that one is that whoever came up with that tagline is very high in the organization. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> high enough that nobody can criticize them. Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, I think that the somebody way up there, the, the you know the, the the head marketing guy or the CEO or somebody said, "Hey, I got it. Restaurant quality pasta." And nobody could nobody could argue with it. <laughs> well, here, here's another take, and you, you put it in a perspective. I had, it hadn't occurred to me when I saw it. Uh, I'm reminded that they're running these commercials on TV now, where they're at what appears to be. You know, some very upscale, happening hip uh, restaurant in in Manhattan, and the chef is walking around asking everybody how they like their pasta. They're saying, "Oh, it's awesome!" And then he, here comes the big reveal, and all the Pizza Hut delivery guy comes in, and the chef's like, "Yeah, I didn't do anything tonight. It was all Pizza Hut." So maybe the restaurant quality food. The real implication in here, here is that what they mean is great restaurant food. 
And, you know, we know that's not Pizza Hut. So, in fact, they are setting the bar a little bit higher for themselves, but only by implication. I I think that it probably means something very much like that. That, that, that they're really, you know, that they're really saying Pizza Hut delivery. We all know that's not like going to a good Italian restaurant, and not what they're <laughs> offering would be, would, would be that level. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that. Well, see, I think uh, your argument. This is funny too because the claim they could have made then is better than you can make yourself. Right. You know, that, and, that, that, that's another possibility for sure. It's just better only because they made it. Now you don't have to, and that's better because you know you didn't have to lift a finger. Right. Well, that got, that got, gets me thinking though about you know what are some other weird uh, food futures, both past futures and uh, current. We one of which is um, what we talked about last night. Uh, excuse me, last week the uh, vat meat is a is a weird. Uh, food future for sure, uh, certainly uh, one that I think will probably happen, but one that sounds strange to people. It would be pretty gross that. at first, I would imagine, that, and, and something that uh, most people won't, won't, won't do at first, and then it'll get, it'll get better over time, I, w- I would just imagine. It's going to be really gross at first, and, it will, yeah. and the, the quality will improve. I think there's, there's almost no question about that. Now, one of the food futures I used to hear about when I was a kid, back you know, like in the 60s and 70s, you'd always hear these, like, you know, by the year 2000, these, these kinds of predictions that they would make about the future. Uh, one of them was, do you remember this one, that we'd, you'd just eat, take a pill, and then that's all you would need, right? I think the idea was uh, based on, you know, what the astronauts were doing, you know. Right. <laughs> right. Just, just because the astronauts were uh, eating freeze-dried freeze dried food on the way to the moon doesn't mean that that's what we would want to do. Well, yeah, I don't think we would, and and I certainly uh, the the idea that uh, even if there was a pill you could take um, that that would then take care of all your nutritional needs, uh, you know, eating is fun. I mean, you know, you, would would you really want to just totally give that up in favor of uh, sometimes in favor of taking a pill? And yet, Michael suggested an idea before the program started that uh, runs along a similar vein. So uh, so outline your weird food future for us, Michael. Well, first, let me just say that sometimes I would take the pill for sure. Oh, well, some long car trip. Who wants to stop? You take, yeah, you do it. Uh, the the weird food future I, I see is that we get to a point where we can uh, put chlorophyll right in our skin and take the uh, the product and put it right into our metabolism. And yeah, okay. So the the side effect is you're green. So <laughs> so you'll be green. But that means that uh, whenever you get hungry, just get out, and get some sun. And ladies, uh, you know, you know that's not gonna that that won't make you less attractive. Captain Kirk has already demonstrated that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll be, be attracted to green women. Yeah, so that's where clothes come in. Now, if you if you could do it in a suit, you know, the big lycra stretchy suit that we all were supposed to be wearing by now, um, you'd put it on and take it off. But I don't know how you'd interface that to your metabolism. The chlorophyll right to the metabolism. Metabolism. I think the chlorophyll is in your skin, and we figure out a way to do that. And you're gonna, you'd see people going, "Yeah, I'll go green. Now I don't need food. I just need the sun and some water, <laughs> some potassium." You know, I think uh, the food future. I, I think that uh, we may see in this country, if virtual reality is completely realistic, is that uh, within our virtual world, we get to eat anything we want to, and we get to, you know, just pig out and then in the real world we we eat modestly so as to not be fat so we get that way you can enjoy both right well one of the other futures that uh, 
has been touted as the one where you can eat anything you want and you'd always weigh the same. And various approaches for uh, for how that might be accomplished have been uh, uh, have been have been suggested. But uh, certainly, virtual reality is the easiest way <laughs> to make yeah, that happen because you're right. not actually eating anything, right? So you don't have to do anything weird with your metabolism or any of that kind of stuff. To uh, yeah, the, to, the food products where there's zero calorie, zero nutritional content, zero like physiological impact always strike me as very odd and there there are products out there whether they're drinks or they're you know potato chips made out of some weird thing and they're the idea is that hey they have no calories and there's no food in them you just can eat them and you know they're nothing i'm like yeah i get it it's all about flavor the process of eating but still that strikes me as very very weird as a as a food future well, and it strikes your body weird, too. Yeah. Like yeah you, you, read, read the fine print. Uh, may cause digestive difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, even there's... Gurgling and there other... Are, <laughs> and there are made, it's going to. Yeah. There are carbonated diet beverages that have no calories and essentially no food content, Yeah. but they still taste good. Well, that's they don't have the same problem. Well, that's the flavored water. You know, I mean, that's... Uh, yeah. Know, Give me a convincing piece of cheesecake that has absolutely no calories. <laughs> that's right. You know, and I bet that thing will mess you up somehow, right? I mean, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and the more convincing it is, the more it's going to mess you up. That's 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 my thought on it. <laughs> on the cheesecake. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about weird futures. We've kind of got stuck on uh, weird food, food futures because it's so much fun, but we've got a few other topics. If you've got a weird future you'd like to share with us, give us a call at 347-215-8972. Hey, guys, I'm thinking since we've had a few technical difficulties, maybe we'll push on and do an extra 15 minutes this evening. Sounds good, man. Yeah. How many weird futures to... Uh, uh, yeah, there you go again, setting the bar high. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll go an extra 15 minutes or we'll stop the next time Stephen gets kicked out of the switchboard. Uh, uh, <laughs> that switchboard just went dead. I don't know. I've never seen That's never happened before, unfortunately. And uh, we, we were able to get it this reestablished. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Well, you, you know, you have to, you talk about a weird future. Think about what we're doing here. Think about explaining this idea to yourself 10 years ago, right? Well, it's kind of like we have this radio show. It's these, uh, but not. It's, the, you yeah, know, it's not only on the radio. It's kind of on a computer network. <laughs> but, but, but basically, uh, we, we've had very few problems with blog talk radio. This is one of our second or third glitches that, that we've had with them along the way. So I think uh, yeah, overall, we shouldn't complain too much. Not going to complain too much, although we do want to find that uh, February 17th episode. If anyone's listening, we would still like that. <laughs> get that back if it's still sitting on a server someplace. Okay, so where Phil Spector okay. logged into the the uh, chat room and Phil Spector causes uh, temporal disturbances everywhere he goes. Explain okay. that. I, I didn't quite get that. <laughs> okay, I'm living in a weird future. Go is, Say again, uh, Michael, what's it mean? I, I can't explain it. I just wanted to say something funny about that February 17th episode being lost. Phil Spector was the first character that came to mind. Oh, okay, okay. Although it does remind me that on the blog, there's uh, uh, the post about something and something, and then here comes HR Puffin stuff. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't want to have to get into explaining that. that. Logical progression. Okay, (laughs) let let me let me talk you through that one real fast. Okay, Uh, for for those listening, please bear with us. This this is actually worthwhile. So. uh, 
uh, Stephen, in fact, this relates to our human destiny uh, ET. Are they out there? Uh, discussion that uh, that we were going to have uh, in a few seconds. We can we can skip to that now. Actually. Okay, that's a good a good time too. So, Stephen, you had uh, go ahead and talk about your post. Well, I basically had said that I, I'm I'm an ET skeptic. I believe that uh, there's we're, we're probably alone in this galaxy, which is different from saying we're alone in the universe. Obviously, there's many, many, many galaxies, but um, in this galaxy, I would it, it, we're probably my thought is that we're probably alone because um, as old as the galaxy is, and if um, uh, you know a life were to arise on a fairly regular basis, then the chances of us being the very first are very minimal, and uh, we shouldn't. And I put in the and put in the post that we shouldn't be able to swing a cat without hitting a Vulcan, or at least the Vulcan's robotic emissary. And by that I mean, you know, the von Norman probes. Right. That, that could that should have reached us by now, so that's that, that was my basic thought. And uh, but there's and 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 uh, that sort of explains away the uh, the Fermi paradox. And and that Fermi paradox is, you know, if there's really intelligent life throughout the galaxy, then you know, why, where is everybody? Why are we alone? So and, so the notion is uh, having to do with evolution that we're. Life, life actually uh, showed up very late on this planet. Is that right? Or that's right. That's right. And late in our yeah. We, and I quoted a scientist that basically said, "Okay, it, it appears that uh, that this planet Earth uh, has been capable of supporting life for about uh, four billion years, and looks like there's only about a billion years left." And um, because at, in, a, in about a billion years the sun will uh, will start to get hotter and to the point that this this planet will not sustain life. So the fact that we, although we only have Michael, you you pointed this out, we only have an exa- one example of intelligent life in the in the universe that that we're, we're we know of. Uh, we still can extrapolate something from this because we showed up late in this planet's. A lifetime, and um, and because we showed up late, that, that tends to show that our showing up at all, our intelligent life showing up at all, is rather improbable. And uh, that's that's what that scientist was saying. And so, and I, and because I, if we if if we showed up late, but actually early for intelligence, then yeah. it could just be that the window for for getting intelligence is longer than the window that a typical planet would have to produce it. And if that's the case. Then intelligence normally doesn't show up, and we're all alone in the universe. That, that's, that's one way we'd be anomalous. Yeah, that, I mean, there's other, right. there's other, um, you'd have other possibilities to be anomalous. That's that, that's the that's a good one though. We're not late. We're we're earlier than most other intelligences have, have been. But they came so late. By the time they started getting any intelligence, their atmosphere burned off, and they were they were gone. Yeah, right. Well, and there are some other explanations too. But before we before we go there. Let me get you to That's point. right. So, I'm, um, I'm waiting. <laughs> so I, I respond to that. I said, well, one of the things that has to happen, at least in the history of Earth, uh, in, intelligence, for intelligence to occur, and for uh, the kind of intelligence that produces civilization, is that you need to develop a level of complexity without one of these extinction-level events occurring. So life would uh, develop to a certain point, then a big extinction-level event would occur, and then it had to kind of start from scratch. And one of the ideas that's been proposed is that the dinosaurs were actually heading towards 
where maybe we are now. And that uh, the, the, they were going in, uh, you know, the brains were getting bigger. They were going biped, uh, bi bipedal, and they're uh, and they're getting around, kind of working towards hands and some of that kind of stuff. And the thinking was, hey, maybe eventually dinosaurs would uh, would evolve into some kind of roughly humanoid, roughly uh, human intelligence uh, species that that would occupy essentially the same place that, that we occupy today. So I referenced that, and I and I sent a, a link to a picture of, of one of these biped dinosaurs and the direction it may have uh, evolved, and where it evolved to was this, you know, humanoid dinosaur. And Stephen responded to that with, "Yep," and then and a link, and of course the link went to Sleestacks. Okay, I saw the link to the Sleestacks, and okay. I thought that okay now. Okay, and now the Sleestacks are Croft are everything. Also, it's Sid and Marty Croft production. So I said, ah, yes, those guys were way ahead of their time, but I don't know what the evolutionary dead end they had in mind when they came up with this guy. And then I looked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All the, right. Uh, now the HR Puff and Stuff circle is complete. <laughs> All my jokes take this lengthy of an explanation, actually, but uh, it's so worthwhile. I'm sure everyone's listening. <laughs> Harvey asks about Chaka in the in the chat. <laughs> Chaka, you know the uh, what were they called? The uh, those guys. And it starts with a P, didn't it? Like a Pacoy or something like that. But anyway, they, obviously they were like some sort of early hominid that was like real short hominid kind of. Caveman creatures. Chaka couldn't speak though, could he? They had a, they, had a, they actually invented a language for the for those animals, uh, people, or whatever they were. Chaka, yeah, Chaka spoke a kind of a pigeon English. You know, yeah. he, he couldn't get pronouns down. He was always Chaka do this, Chaka do that. He had the kind of Tarzan and approach to language, but uh, <laughs> but but he could he could talk. Okay, so uh, let's let's not lose the uh, the thread here though, which is what we're talking about is weird futures. And well, you know, I think that there is another uh, explanation for the Fermi paradox, and 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 Phil, you've voiced it a couple of times uh, when I've when I've brought up that in the past that I, uh, that I'm sort of an ET skeptic, right? That there's another explanation for what is happening to ET and why ET hasn't shown up. I think, I think up. there's there's a good explanation um, that doesn't require this idea that intelligence either can't develop or that it must fizzle out, and I think that. Uh, and, and, and this is actually uh, an idea that uh, I've gotten from John Smart from, from reading his stuff. But basically, um, intelligence gets on the same trajectory that we're on, and um, before before too long, you 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 hit you hit the singularity, and then you're uh, in a silicon substrate, and you're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And and what happens? Uh, Within a very short period of time, once you've reached technological uh, development, once you've reached computers and, and have moved on into the singularity, is uh, civilizations disappear. They move into inner space. They're down there working at the Planck scale or in femtospace or so something like that. Then or they abandon the universe altogether somehow. Or out of this universe altogether, and we just have no means of detecting them. And it could be that the, the, the uh, term that John uses is destiny of species. It could be that our destiny is just to fade out of this universe and, and to, to know some completely other mode of existence. Yeah. Which is a more happy ending, I think, than... <laughs> yeah, well, the question uh, is, can you take puffin' stuff with you? You, know, <laughs> you can take anything with you into that universe. But I, what I, my thought is that um, 
you know, it may not be that unhappy to be if you're the only one and then you branch out and uh, and fill this galaxy, for example. I mean, obviously, um, you know, and as you move out into the galaxy, the species would change, and you and you would end up with intelligences throughout the galaxy that would be as alien to us as if they had evolved in another place as they moved out into the universe. So, I mean, it doesn't. Have, you know, you could you could still end up with a with a wide variety of weirdness. We'd still not be alone, and we not could, be alone. Yeah, we could. You know, by, you by can, filling the galaxy. Just us, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, we're not alone. We got each other. That's right. Even if uh, there's no aliens, we've still got other humans, or or whatever, uh, whatever humans eventually end up being. And if we uh, can self-direct our own evolution, then you know, some people are going to make choices very different from what I would make, and so you'd end up with the human race splintering in a thousand directions. So if if John, if the John Smart transcension makes sense, that the species gets through a singularity, the intelligence then says, hey, there's more interesting places to be than this universe, and off they go, and that explains the aloneness. Um, it also implies that there's either no way or no motivation to reach backward. I mean, where's my breadcrumbs? That's a good point. And maybe, maybe, there's, uh, maybe there's no way or maybe there's no motivation. Um, I, the reason, I would like to think that if we were in that position, we'd throw some kind of bone to uh, the up-and-coming blobs of protoplasm we, out there. We sent Viger, we sent Voyager out into space with uh, with all sorts of interesting breadcrumbs. Yeah, and and why wouldn't at least one other intelligence? You know, John Smart's idea might be true of 999 out of a thousand, you know, civilizations. They might just all disappear with no trace. But, you know, where's the other one out of a thousand? You know, and why haven't they sent out the the probes or whatever? Uh, that's exactly my question. Maybe there's no maybe there's no way to reach back from the other universe, and maybe there's no reason to. But come on, man. We send, we send uh, what was the guy? Uh, uh, oh, hang on. Uh, Dark Was the Night by Blind Willie Johnson. We sent that into space on Voyager, for Christ, for gosh sakes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, we really threw a needle into the biggest possible haystack. I mean, yeah. so there could be a few needles thrown into the haystack before uh uh before species transcend. Uh Okay, we yeah. think they if they're close to the transcension, they could, you know, make the needle. They could do better than we did. Idea. Yeah. They they could probably send Maybe out a better feature than we did. Maybe they don't care anymore at that point. Because at that point they recognize that their destiny is to go in and that uh if it's meant to be for these other up-and-coming species, it will be, and if not, it doesn't matter. Interesting. Huh. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know. I'm not one of these advanced uh, species. Well, actually, we are potentially one of these advanced species. It doesn't bode well for Chaka and Puff and stuff. That's all i got to say about that. <laughs> We're not one yet. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're down to our final 15 minutes of talking about weird futures, so this is your chance. To share your ideas about a weird future with us, give us a call at 347-215-8972. Okay, we've saved the best for last. Um, actually, well, before we do the best one, I have one other one I want to throw in, and it's not anywhere near the best one. Okay, go. I just want to throw in this. I think that we're going to have fewer and fewer uh, languages and less and less language diversity, and it's going to happen a lot faster than anybody's thinking. It's not 
multiple generations away where everybody in the world speaks three languages, it's like the next generation or the generation after that, everyone might, there may be a lot of bilingualism going on, but everybody's going to know one of the big three. Yeah. And I, I predict we'll be cursed. It seems to be going in that direction, yeah. I mean, that, that, that yep. almost seems like just a uh, rational projection from what we see happening. I, 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 think, I, I, I think we'll be speaking English and cursing, uh, and then when we curse, we'll be doing it in Chinese. So, <laughs> yeah, and we'll call the universe the verse for short. <laughs> That's right. It'd <laughs> be great. Um, I, now, a weird future would be one where, um, in, what, instead, what happens is because we have increased intelligence and because we have increased capability of making uh, use of other languages, there's an explosion of languages uh, where not only uh, currently existing languages are brought back, but people create whole new ones. And individuals, you know, a couple might have their own language that only they speak to each other because the technology will support that. And uh, the, the whole notion of language is just in its infancy now because it will grow into this much, much larger thing in the very near future. Now, that is a weird linguistic future. I think that would I'm sorry. Uh, it is weird, and I like it. And uh, I think, uh, you know, once you're smart enough, I mean, why not? You could, you could learn every language there ever was if you're smart enough. And, you know. Right. If you, if you can improve your intelligence. One of the things I love, I think I've talked about this before in the book, Eon, uh, Greg Bear's uh, science fiction novel. Uh, a guy needs to learn Russian, and he takes a pill, and then he knows Russian. And I just think that is, you know, having had to try to learn Russian in my own life, um, you know, I, I, I'm not yeah, having I mean, taking a pill instead of eating, but, man, taking a pill instead of learning a language, I would definitely be all over that. Okay? Having, having tried to learn Russian, you're wondering, do you get to take a pill after so that you forget it? <laughs> well, actually, you go to Russia, and uh, they have a beverage you can drink there. Which... <laughs> <laughs> Made from potatoes. Pills. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Uh, sometimes made potatoes. Okay, so uh, we're, we're moving swiftly on now to uh, to the weirdest of all weird futures. Let's talk about the futures involving sex and relationships. So who's got a – we already talked about Captain Kirk and the green chick, right? That was uh, back in the 60s. That was a weird future, the idea of having a relationship with this green alien woman. That, that, was, that was odd. But what kind of weird – Directions do you think humanity might be going? Well, there's, um, there's uh, where human relationships are concerned. Um, two possibilities, and they're probably not. Neither of them are mutually exclusive. Um, sex with robots and virtual reality sex. Um, okay. Um, I, you know, there's like a, a new book out by by a guy that's like, you know, he's he's saying that you know, sex with robots is just right around the corner, um, and. Uh, there you go. There's that. Then um, I, I'm going to tell you that once once it's possible for you know I, what will it mean to the world once it's possible for any schlub to get on the, you know the internet or get on in, in a virtual reality world filled with beautiful women and you know and you know what you know it, it, any anything that you can imagine happens. I mean, why would you know? Would we lose that person completely? Would they never come back? I mean, uh, I mean, the, you know, the crack epidemic would mean nothing compared to it. Compared well, to in fact, this is if you've ever read the Dilbert Future, uh, Scott Adams talks about this, and he says that uh, one one of the problems with uh, technology is displayed in the TV show Star Trek: The Next Generation, and it's the holodeck. Yeah, because he says the holodeck will be the last thing humanity invents. 
because once, <laughs> once we invent the holodeck, we will lose all motivation to ever do anything else because we'll all be in there, yeah, living out whatever that fantasy is. And for a lot of guys, it's going to be, you know, what you talked about. In fact, there were even a couple of Star Trek episodes devoted to that, this loser uh, Broccoli, Barkley, yeah. who uh, <laughs> created a, a fantasy life for himself on the holodeck. And, you know, in the end, he gets called back into real life because, hey, real life's a lot better. But, you know, I think the bottom line is you, you see people, they'd rather, you know, watch TV than, than have to deal with uh, uh, interaction with, with, with fellow human beings. Or, you know, there, there, there's so many different escapes that, that people have now that are pale, pale, pale substitutes for the real thing. When you can actually have this, you know, as far as your nervous system is concerned, this exact life, this, this sex fantasy or whatever the fantasy is, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that, uh, that a lot of people won't just uh, disappear. Op, opt yeah. out of reality, I guess, would be the... And, and, and you know, and it, it doesn't have to be just sex. I mean, but sex would be a huge part of it. But, I mean, like, uh, you know, uh, when you're tired of that, you go drive a NASCAR, you know, and, and you know, do, do exciting things all the time instead of your dull, boring life that you have in the real world, you know. And, uh, yeah, I think there's a fair chance that you lose. Uh, maybe that's what happened to E.T., you know. I mean, they <laughs> they enter these virtual reality worlds that are just so much more exciting, and they lose interest in doing anything else. Well, Harvey in the chat room says maybe uh, maybe robot sex is what uh, will stop wars. Yeah. And, you know, and how, how, how so? I wish Harvey would uh, call in and explain. Well, because people will be so busy with that that they won't. I mean, I'm answering for him, but uh, I would think the, the way it would stop, you know, in, in, in uh, Scott Adams' mind, the way it would stop all human progress, just by the fact that we get so busy with, uh, get with busy. our sex fantasies in, uh, in the holodeck that we don't have time for wars anymore. I guess so. Yeah. Well. I think um, I think two things will happen first. One, uh, there'll be a phase where there'll be sort of a uh, uh, a, a, a more powerful social stigma uh, than is attached to almost anything for people to actually admit that they were having sex with robots. Nobody's going to nobody's going to admit to that. Well, I think that it'll, it'll so be it doesn't that, doesn't matter. Sales figures will, will tell the tale. Yeah, they'll be there. It'll be happening. Just nobody's going to admit it. Yeah. Well, I think I, I think that uh, you know robot sex and and virtual reality sex will be the equivalent of pornography. And, you know, yeah. Well, it'll be an alter, alternative lifestyle, you know, much the same as uh, uh, the way homosexuality has come to be accepted as a alternative lifestyle. I think that, it, you know, at first it'll be, you know, only the weirdos will be doing it, and then it'll become more accepted probably. But anyway. Yeah, I, I think that the stigma uh, the stigma won't stop the thing from happening. That's, there, sure. that's right. That's right. Just you know, like, I, I think you know, there's a lot more people using uh, porn, particularly on the web, than there are people comfortable about the fact that they do. Or, absolutely. Or feel stigmatized if, if it was known that they do. Yeah. Well, you, you, as a marketing guy, you've certainly seen the stories about how the VCR achieved, uh, uh, well, market penetration because <laughs> of uh, the presence of certain videotapes, and Deep Throat was one of them that drove the... Uh, the adoption of the technology. Nobody admitted that, but the sales numbers didn't lie. Oh, and all of a sudden, the adult theaters shut down because right. nobody's going to go. And you then, know, if you can have it, if you can watch that at home, then why go to a grubby theater with some you know weirdo 
uh, on the next aisle over. You know, I mean, you you just you you know you that 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 basically shut that industry down. Right. Because, and yeah. the second thing that will happen is that there will be people who, for uh, for whatever reasons, and I, I suspect they'll be intellectual uh, more than anything else, will say, yeah, give me the pill that, much like the pill that allows me to learn Russian or turns on some other part of my brain and then turns it off, give me the one that turns that part of my brain on and then give me the one that turns that part of my brain off so I can get some work done. My God, I, I, I can't be doing this all the that, time. You know what? That was the one I was going to mention. Uh, Greg Egan talks about that in his fiction, um, the idea of uh, people in the future who, uh, in fact, the future, if, if, we, if we do end up with the, uh, with the holodeck uh, grinding all progress to a halt, the future will belong to these people who decide, eh, we're going to opt out from sex. That, uh, in, in, in his fictional description of it, they, they go the whole route. I mean, they don't have external sexual characteristics. You don't use either masculine or feminine pronouns to refer to that, to these people, and, and and sex is just no longer part of their makeup. It, it, it's it's not part of them genetically. It's not part of um, uh, of who they are or how they react to the world. And they've made this choice for for the reason that uh, that uh, that you're talking about there, Michael. Not, not only to avoid um, the temptation of of spending your whole life in the holodeck necessarily, but just because. They look at it and they go, well, this is, you know, there's a certain amount of pleasure associated with this, but it's just this huge baggage that uh, that we don't need anymore. The species can reproduce itself by other means now, and uh, we've decided to step away from that, and therefore we will no longer be sexual beings. And, and in Greg Egan's mythos, what's the uh, what's the procreation channel? Oh, well, there's, you know, this is a far kind of post-singularity future. There's lots of means of uh, making people the... Cloning most or people whatever, yeah. In the, in the biological it. substrate, most of them are in silicon, so... Yeah, yeah. But even in the VR world in silicon, they choose not to be human in that sense. They choose to be asexual. Well, you know, in a way, and Kurzweil has said this, that... Uh, uh, um, the sexual act has been, uh, uh, you know, taken away from procreation anyway, but various forms of birth control. I mean, you know, it's we don't find it uh, as a species. We don't find it a burden. Uh, <laughs> the, generally, uh, most people don't uh, that those desires, and so uh, we 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 uh, we hang on to the sexual act even if we have no intention to ever have a child in our lifetime. So. Right. It's it, well. It's it's hardwired in. I mean, it, that, yeah. that's the thing. Uh, like food, like sleep. I mean, it's something that uh, that that we seek as as uh, as animals, right? Not even as uh, as human beings. I mean, it's it's something that uh, as as biological entities on this planet that uh, that that we want. And so that can get channeled in all kinds of different directions when we're no longer strictly speaking biological entities. That's yeah. The, uh, that's the interesting thing. So in the uh, in, in in recognition of the fact that today is Aubrey Gray's birthday, happy birthday to Dr. DeGray. Um, happy birthday, Aubrey. Absolutely. I would also point out that uh, I think the uh, uh, socially it's going to be a, a whole different animal in this area of of organization and civilization when life expectancy is anywhere close to the kinds of numbers Aubrey's talking about, because. You say, yeah, you know, I was 23, we got married until death do us part and all that stuff. And then you live to be 1,000 and 23, 
that's a that's a different bargain than most people sign up for. Yeah, well, of course, a lot of marriages, even even with life lasting as long as they do now, don't last. So yeah, right. Yeah, fewer and fewer marriages are making are going the distance even now. See, I think it'll be the opposite effect. You know, I think a lot of people get divorced because they go, "Hey, clock's ticking. My life's running out here. I better." Uh, <laughs> yeah. If I want a shot at life, you know, I better I uh, better end this and and get on to the next thing. If if you think you're going to live, you know, hundreds of years indefinitely, maybe you don't feel that uh, urge. It might actually make marriage yeah, last longer. In fact, I think a lot of things will last longer. Careers will last longer. I think a lot of things will. Uh, will be extended because people will live longer rather than... Uh, so you're suggesting that we won't buy our Porsches when we're 45 anymore? No, we'll get them like when we're 300. Yeah. Midlife <laughs> crisis. Have your, have your midlife crisis then. Okay, well, I think it's just about time for us to wrap it up. Any last parting shots on weird futures from, from either well, of you guys? Well, the chat, in the chat room, Matt doing it, I had this point. Uh, he says, I think there will be a point when uh, someone could choose to totally replace motivations based on evolutionary psychological motivations with conscious, rational ones. And that's, that's uh, pretty much what you said. Uh, that, that is what Egan is uh, talking about in the, in, in the story. And, and, you know, on the one hand, I totally buy into that and on the other hand it's like but i wouldn't do it you know so it's uh <laughs> it, it's it's an interesting uh interesting paradox about well you know you could try on uh you know if, if we're talking virtual reality worlds you could try on uh that persona before you committed to it couldn't you that's true you could experience you know what it would be like to you know be that sexless entity or whatever uh and see if that's the way you really wanted to live but anyway. yeah, you could also uh, go back to being what you are, or you could try being the other sex, or you could just alternate between all three of those things. Uh, in virtual reality, you'd, you know, you can do it all, I guess. But possibilities are limitless. Wow. And that oh, is so... a really weird future, I think, on which we can close. <laughs> there you go. Our all music right, well, tonight. Go. Um, I, I we have got a, a great piece of music tonight. This is something that I think that. Once y'all hear it, y'all are going to want to go and download the stereo version, uh, you know, and, and put it on your iPods. This is Porter Block is, is the artist, and the song is Second Wind. Second Wind by Porter Block. That's right. All right, well, we'll be looking forward to that, and I guess you'll have the uh, show notes up for us? Yeah, and uh, as usual, I'll probably have some show notes up in a couple of hours, uh, but the, the, you know, the polished and finished version of the show notes will probably be a day coming. So. Yeah, so listeners, keep checking back on the show notes. A lot of interesting things show up uh, over time, um, uh, like we listen to the show and realize we made mistakes, and we put those up there. And stuff, so, uh, <laughs> all true. kinds of great stuff shows up. All right, well, uh, Stephen, Michael, uh, great show. Thank you both for uh, being with us this evening. Right. I would like Ciao, to thanks. thank our uh, friends in the chat room for their contribution and for all our listeners. We look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night. <laughs>